0: you're listening to the liberty grace church sermon podcast for more information visit libertygrace.ca i have a direct question for you today very unusual question if you could snap your fingers and get rid of any group in the world that you consider to be the problem what group would you pick Now, that's a tricky question to answer. Uh, In your deepest heart of hearts, I think all of us think, well, that group is the problem. If we could only get rid of that group, then the world would be a lot better. Well, I'll go first because I don't expect you to actually answer. It's kind of an incriminating uh, question to answer. One of the books that I wanna read this summer is called this, A Fever in the Heartland, the Ku Klux Klan's Plot to take over America and the woman who stopped them. And it's a book about a man named D.C. Stevenson, who was a con man, a rapist, and a bigot. Uh, he became the grand dragon of the state of Indiana, and he launched a plan after the Ku Klux Klan had been dormant for years. He launched a plan to bring it back from the shadows and make it prominent again in America. And he recruited judges, pastors, uh, prosecutors, governors, and senators. And he arranged so that they would all communicate this message of intolerance and bigotry and make it uh, acceptable within society again. And it worked at local churches, uh, at uh, picnics, family picnics, at town celebrations, a message of bigotry went out and the, uh, the clan went from being almost dead to recruiting millions of members, and he became one of the most powerful men in America in the 1920s. I wanna read the book, it's a fascinating book. Uh, As I said, the subtitle is, and the woman who stopped him. So somehow, I don't know the full story, but I'm pretty excited to hear about this woman who managed to uh, stop him from having this way. But if I could snap my fingers, I would be glad to get rid of people like him. I would be glad to, I, I just think the world would be better off without racist con men, don't you? I think the world would be better off without bigotry in the world, with, without messages of hatred and intolerance in the world. I would love to snap my fingers and uh, my first choice would be that they would be saved, that they would repent. But short of that, if they persisted in their ways, I would not be that upset to see that the world was rid of people like that. What about you? Who would you get rid of? Human traffickers, uh, members of the ultra left or the ultra right? Uh, war criminals. If you could think of a group of people that you just think, good riddance, this world doesn't need people like you, who would you choose? Today we're, I'm asking this question because we're going to see a little bit of the desire to see some people get the justice that they actually deserve. We're in a year-long series throughout the Bible, and we're exactly midway right now. Uh, so if you're tracking with us as Godfried said at the beginning good for you this is amazing uh the first half you know we're coming up to the uh end of the difficult part so we've been through some pretty tough stuff and it's going to continue i think you'll see today even some of the tough stuff is really amazing amos is tough stuff and uh but I, congratulations because this is pretty big i don't i know of a few churches who've done this year-long journey through the bible Uh, Last year, I thought this is going to be either the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life or it's going to turn out to be like, well, I'll be set. Like, that was really good. I'm glad we did it. And so far, I'm feeling like I'm really glad we've done this. It's been so good. But today, we're at a critical point in the story. Uh, This is the middle of the mess right now. Uh, God, the story so far is basically like God created a good world. We messed it up. We introduced sin into the world, and it just introduced misery, like everything that... We see this every day, right? The world is charged with such beauty. Like there's love, there's sunsets. There's like, yesterday, Shar and I sat in a beautiful garden uh, outside of St. Joe's after visiting Todd and Shar uh, had to make a phone call and I was looking at the garden and the sky and the smoky air and, you know, it was like, this is so beautiful and like, I'm coughing. Like the whole world is full of like, at the same time, this amazing beauty and this like, it's broken. Uh, at the same time, we feel that every day. But God launched a rescue plan, and through this uh, family, Abraham's family, he turned into a nation, and we watch God, like this nation has been so frustrating, it's almost like they don't miss a chance to mess things up, and God persists to work with them. And we got to the point where it's like, he saves them, he builds them first, he saves them from uh, Egypt, he sends them in the wilderness, he gives them the land, Things are rough, but then they have two good kings. But then uh, Solomon dies, his son takes over, civil war, they split. And we're at the, uh, right now looking at the northern part of this nation right now. And it's easy to remember pretty well the northern nation called Israel, Israel and Judah. Israel's a northern one because they're bad. They, they just keep messing up and they serve idols. And the, where we are in the story as we come to Amos today is, It is a period of moral and social collapse. Here's the weird part about where we are in the story. Like, civil war, they're split. They're worshiping idols. But the economy was amazing. Uh, Right now in Israel, as Amos prophesies, it's like, people are doing really well. There's a lot of rich people. Like, the other thing about them, like, the economy was humming. The other thing is, all their enemies had basically been weakened. And so we come to this point in the story and it's like there's a lot of idolatry. The nation's not like it should be, but man, they can buy stuff and their enemies aren't threatening them anymore. So things are pretty good. And then this dude called Amos shows up. This is 80 years after, uh, roughly 80 years after the events of last week, uh, the ministry of Elisha. And here's another prophet. So Elisha is gone now. Amos shows up. Here's the weird thing about Amos, two weird things. First, he isn't from Israel. So he's from Judah. You remember Israel and Judah split? How would you feel if you're in Israel and a prophet from Judah shows up? How would you feel? Like, hey, go back down. Like we're, <laughs> we, you're not one of us, right? The other thing about Amos as he shows up, in chapter 7, verse 14, he reveals that he's not a professional prophet. He actually, his father wasn't a prophet. He's actually a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. <laughs> uh, so basically, it's like, he, it's like show us you're a pastor. Show us you're a professional. And he's like, I can't show you that. Like, basically, I look after sheep and I dress sycamore treats. So he is not, uh, he's like, he knows figs more than he does ministry. So, He's not at all a professional. He's a blue collar worker and an ordinary dude. He shows up as this outsider with a prophetic message that actually probably would have resonated well when he came. So here's the message. He took a list of Israel's enemies and he delivered judgments against all of them. If you read chapter one and chapter two, here's basically what he does. He says, down to your enemies, down to your enemies. So chapter 1, verse 2, this is how Amos begins. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastors of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. So here, the Lord roars from Zion. Has anybody ever heard a lion roar before? Have you heard a lion roar on TV before? Anybody actually heard a lion roar in person? I've heard them on TV. Yeah, you have. What does it sound like? Yeah, that's right. I mean, even if that lion is behind bars, you don't want to be there when that lion roars. And so Amos begins with saying like this lion roars from Zion and he utters his voice from Jerusalem. Now they wouldn't have liked that because remember they're the northern nation. And so Amos says like God's roaring from Jerusalem. You're like, eh, like we're from Samaria. Samaria is our capital city. We have nothing to do with Jerusalem. Amos is like, deal with it. That's where God lives. And he's roaring. It's scary. And he says this the pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. So Carmel was like 115 kilometers north of Jerusalem. And Amos says, God is roaring from Jerusalem, and his roar is so strong that even the top of Carmel, which is lush with vegetation, completely withers. That's how powerful God's. That's a crazy way to begin a book, isn't it? This Amos shows up and he says, God is roaring, it's gonna be really bad. And even 115 kilometers away, you're gonna hear it and it's gonna just destroy everything. God is thundering and he has a message that he wants to communicate. So here's the message. What is the message that he's trying to communicate? Well, the message is, God is going to judge the enemies of Israel. And so he begins to watch. chapter one, he begins to go through and he just says, God's gonna judge Damascus, God's gonna judge Gaza, God's gonna punish Tyre, God's gonna punish Eden, God's gonna punish the Ammonites, God's gonna punish the Nobites. And everybody would have been like, man, this is great. Like, he shows up and says, God is basically gonna judge all the enemies of Israel. I want you to picture, if I put on my Toronto Maple Leafs jersey, If I got on a train and went to Montreal, and I went to center ice of the Bell Center, and I stood in center ice in the middle of a Habs game, how do you think the crowd would react with me in my Leafs jersey there? Yeah, how would they react? And then what if I started saying, Detroit's going down, Chicago's going down, the Bruins are going down, and then I, I, how do you think the crowd would react at that point? They'd be a little bit confused, right? And if, then if I said, the Leafs are going down, I think I would get a standing ovation there at that point. That's exactly what's happening here. He is basically saying, though, this is going to be the situation here. He begins with a devastating critique of Israel's enemies, including his own country. Remember, everyone's like, this is great. He's actually condemning all of our enemies. And then in chapter 2, verse 6, he says this, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. So what is he saying? Everyone's like, yeah, like our enemies are going down. And then he says, and you guys are going down. Okay, so imagine the hush that would have fallen over the crowd at that point. We were with you when Chicago was going down, when Boston was going down, when the Leafs are going down. But wait a minute, now you're saying we're going down? This would have been a shock. Amos went from condemning Israel's enemies to actually condemning Israel themselves. All along, he's been drawing the circle, and now he says, basically, you guys are in the bullseye of the circle. This would have been a devastating moment, an awkward moment. I picture the crowd listening to Amos at that point would have said, like, we like this guy up till now, but now we're not gonna listen anymore because this is bad this would be like somebody showing up and saying, in Ukraine and saying, Putin is bad. Can I get an amen? Like, and all the Ukrainians are going, Putin is bad. And by the way, the Taliban in Afghanistan is bad. And everyone's like, yeah, we, not our concern as much, but we'll get on board with that. Like Putin, Afghanistan, the Taliban, we're down with that. And then the guy saying, and you Ukrainians, you're pretty bad too. Like, we got a problem with you. You guys are in the same category. You're under God's judgment too. I think the Ukrainians would be like, whoa, time out. Can we just go back to Putin and Afghanistan? Like, we're okay with that. But what are you doing picking on us? This is not cool. Amos is telling us something. What if the problem, he's saying, isn't just the KKK? What if the problem isn't just the human traffickers? What if we are just as bad? What if the problem is not just the people out there? What if the problem is us ourselves as well? And you and I say, wait a minute, we are not in the same category. Like we are not the KKK. We're not people out there. We are good people. And God is saying to us through Amos, no, what if we are as much of the problem as the people out there? Uh, there was a preacher a number of years ago who says this, uh, Israel does not have a privileged position just because she's benefited from God's past acts. She is not God's pet. If any irregularly exists, it is in the opposite direction for the benefits of our history imply a greater obligation. In other words, what Amos is saying here is, actually, as God's people, we have a higher responsibility. God cares about justice, and we don't get a pass. Peter tells us it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And so even later on, Peter's just like, hey, it's actually, we're held to a higher account. It's not just God roaring against the evil out there. It's actually God roaring against us. God roars against his own people when we fail to live up to what he, how he's called us to live. So here's what I want to look at today, because there's so much in Amos I wish I could show you. I hope you get the tension of what he's doing in the first couple chapters, right? He's saying, the world out there is bad. And then he turns to Israel and he says, and you guys are bad too. So here's two lessons we see from the book of Amos. Here's the first. God's people can be the problem just as much as the world. God's people can be the problem just as much as the world. Why was God angry at Israel, friends? In verses 6 to 8 of chapter 2 that Harold read for us, here's what Amos says. Because they sell the righteous for silver. Because they sell the needy for a pair of sandals. Because they trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth. Because they turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar, garments taken in pledge, and on the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. So what's the problem? Number one, he says, they're trampling on the rights of the poor. Number one, sinned against the poor and trampled their rights. So is God cool with that when God's people do that? You can answer. Is God cool with it when we trample on the poor? Like, what if we come to church and we're trampling on the poor a week and we come and like, praise God, like, James, lead us in another one. That was good. Is God impressed with that? Amos is like, God is not impressed with that. Number two, they disobey God's direct commands. He's saying actually here they're engaging in sexual religious practices. They're adopting the sexual values of the world and they brought them into church. And Amos says basically, hey guys, God is not cool with this. You're just acting like the world out there. And then even worse, he says in the very house of God, they're perverting worship by going on drinking bitches in the middle of worship. And here are what they're saying. God cares very much about our relationship with him. God cares very much that we love and serve him. But Amos is clear. God also cares about issues of justice. God cares about how we treat the poor. God cares about our sex lives, too. We will not escape God's judgment just because we call ourselves Christians. Later on in the book of Amos, uh, in chapter 5, he basically says, and you guys don't get a pass just because you go to church. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt and grain offerings, I will not accept them and the peace offerings of your fattened animals. I will not look at them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen." And so what he says here is, like, you guys are trampling on the poor. Like, you guys are getting drunk when you come to worship me. I don't care how great a church service you have. I'm not impressed. I'm just not into it. Like, I detest your church services, he says. I want nothing to do with your songs. Here is what he's saying. God hates when we engage in religious practices externally while our hearts are far from him. In fact, God is saying to us today, I think a real challenge. Friends, we'd better look in the mirror. Uh, This is, I was preparing this this week and thinking, this is a really hard message. And uh, Amos goes on for chapter after chapter after chapter and says this. And I began to think like, what does this mean for us today? You know, I think the people back then would have said, like, we're actually really good people. We're doing all the things, like we're trying to serve God. Yeah, we have a bit of idols here, but I don't think it's that big a deal. And God looks up and says, it's a very big deal. I have to ask, what would God say to us today? Where would God say, you know what? You guys claim to be believers, but you're just not living like you should. Have we mistreated the poor? Are there ways in which we've adopted the values of this world? And we're just living that way, even though we know it's uh, contrary to what he said. Our, when are we making worship about us rather than him? And you and I say, it, I was thinking this week, uh, somebody was saying like, you know, some of our biggest pastors uh, in North America have been shown to be complete hypocrites. Uh, and it's, it's almost like the bigger the name. Uh, one after another has fallen. For a while it was like, okay, there's a couple bad apples in every group. And now it's like so many of them have fallen. It's like, are there any good guys out there? If you're looking at me thinking like, Daryl, do you have any secrets? I don't blame you for asking that. Because I ask that too. Of, as I see pastors, I'm like, can you trust anyone? And then you look at churches, right? I don't know if you've been on uh, Amazon Prime. Uh, there's a couple of uh, documentaries exposing the abuses of churches. And so we sing some of the songs that, and they're good songs, right? And then you find out like things are not all good there. Uh, The scandal, right? There's money, there's behind the scenes, there's junk there. And you go on and on and say, like, what would God say to us? What would God say to us today? Here's the thing, what if the problem isn't just out there? What if God is gonna hold us to account? We'd better ask him to reveal what's wrong with us as well. And all of us to say, man, we need the mirror of God's word. Every week we come, and I pray every week, Lord, would you reveal what's wrong with me? As we open the Word of God, um, later on we're going to say a confession of sin every week. I don't know about you, I find it so refreshing every week to confess our sin. You know why? Because I think every week it's like, look, we're not going to pretend that we have it all together. What we're going to do is actually just bow before God, acknowledge what's wrong with us. And God, we're going to open your Word And even today, when it's a really hard passage, we're going to say, Spirit, speak to us. Like, if there's anything wrong in my heart, reveal what it is, because we want to be right with you. We want God to reveal what's out of line and to change our hearts so that we please him. So here's the truth. God's people can be the problem just as much of the world. We're sinners. We need repentance. Here's the other message that Amos teaches us. Second is this, and this is a lot better. Our only hope is Jesus. Our only hope is Jesus. And so Amos, we've looked at chapter one, they're like, yeah, you preach it, Amos. We've looked at chapter two, where it's like, whoa, Amos, back off. And then chapter two is just the beginning. Like, he goes on and he admits no words. Like, Amos, he's just going hard at them. In one of the chapters, he actually speaks to the women and he calls them cows. Like, it gets pretty bad, right? He's, he calls them, uh, like, he's, he's insulting. The whole book, like, if you were here, if you were there listening to Amos, you would be going, like, I do not like this guy. And his message is scathing. Rightly so. Here's where you might like the message of Amos. As one preacher said, if you're, uh, if you're concerned about injustice of the world, this is one of the most relevant and moving portions of the Bible because it speaks powerfully against hypocrisy. It speaks against social injustices and religious formalism. And many who read the book, uh, they just say like, we need this prophetic critique of our culture because yeah, we ne- this is a message that we need to open our eyes to what's wrong with us and the world. But you know, as you read the book, you're not gonna love it because it's gonna be so challenging and you're just gonna feel like so discouraged Don't read this book to be comforted because you're not going to find much encouragement in there. In the middle of the book, things get so bad that one of the priests complains to the king about Amos and they try to king him out. They say basically like, we don't like your message here. Go back to Israel. Like, we just don't love what you're saying to us here. And then he gets to the end. The last chapter, if you read chapter 9, the heading on there is... Uh, See if you like the title. Like, he's been going on after them hard for a long time. The last chapter in chapter 9, the chapter title is called The Destruction of Israel. So, yeah, like, do you like his message here? He's scathing. But he gets to the very end, and here's how he wraps up his message to Israel. In chapter 9, verse 11, he says, in that day, and he's been speaking of the day of the Lord, and here he says, in that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen. I will repair its breaches. I will raise up its ruins. I will rebuild it as in the days of old. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. And they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never be uprooted. Out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord, their God. All of a sudden... He's been like, you guys are going down. You guys are bad. Like, uh, God's gonna destroy you. Like, you just abuse the poor. You think you get a pass because you go to church. God's gonna judge you. God's gonna judge the other worlds, but you guys are just as bad. And at the end he says, here's our hope. There's gonna be a day when God shows up, and it's not gonna be to judge. It's like, wait a minute, is God still destroying us? Oh yeah, no, I meant that part. Like, I totally meant that part. Like, you guys are gonna be exiled in punishment for your sins, like it's gonna be bad. But he looks beyond that and he says, there's hope. And here's the hope, there's gonna be a day that God visits you, and it's not gonna be a day of judgment, it's gonna be a day of restoration. In verse 11 he says, you remember earlier God promised that he would always have a a king on David's throne? He says, God's gonna repair the booth of David that's fallen. like the." Basically, the throne of David is not occupied by a good king. I'm going to fix that. He says, I'm going to bring unity among the nations. I'm actually going to restore the earth. I'm going to bring an end to the insecurity that plagues us today. The scope of the restoration is astounding, and God says he will do it. And here's the dual message of Amos. On one hand, he's saying, guys, we're God's people. We don't get a pass. When we do evil, we've got to look hard in the mirror because God will judge us if we're just playing religious games. On one hand, he's saying, guys, don't think you get a pass just because you go to church. Like, honestly, turn to him, repent of your sins. Don't be like a a one-day-a-week Christian and live the rest of the week the way you like. God will judge that. And then right at the end, after you're sick and tired of him saying that, he says this, let me tell you who our hope is his name is jesus he one day will restore everything that's broken you know like you and i will get it wrong we will mess up so often it'll get so bad sometimes that we'll look at ourselves and say really is this legit like are we actually the real thing or is this all bogus but he says if you look to jesus you'll never have to answer you'll never have to answer that question or even ask that question you'll say this is legit jesus is real. You know, imagine today if you went down the road and there was a guy by the ghost station down the road here and he was playing Mozart, but it's like you've heard cats that sounded better, like that made better music than him. Like you're listening to him and you're like, I hate Mozart, like that is awful. Like I never wanna hear Mozart again. Mozart is a terrible musician. Well, you know the reality is? The problem is that Mozart, Mozart is one of the greatest composers who ever lived. The problem is you need a better performer. We're the church. And so many times we get it wrong. We're trying to play the song of Jesus. And it sounds like, uh, honestly, a cat could do a better job than the church sometimes. But our hope isn't in the church. Somebody once used to say, like, the hope of the world is the church. I used to hate that every time I heard that. That guy, by the way, is now disqualified for sexual indiscretions, he said the hope of the world is the church. Thank God the hope of the world isn't the church. The hope of the world is Jesus. Our only hope is Him. We get it wrong, look to Jesus, friends. Uh, he will, let's repent, let's turn to Him, but let's put our hope not in ourselves, but in the only one who will get it, who will get it right, the only one who's gonna restore this world. His name is Jesus, He is our hope. And so Father, this is a hard message for us to hear. Uh, As I've been preparing this week, I've just been thinking about how hard it is to stand up and preach. I love preaching uh, comforting messages. I don't love uh, yelling over like a yelling guy, and uh, especially when it's a message of, uh, that's already convicting, Lord. Uh, This is just hard. I've been thinking this week about all the ways that Amos would look at my life, and I'm busy pointing the finger at the KKK and other people, and I kind of wonder if Amos would look at my life and look at the ways that I'm letting you down and say, how dare you, Daryl? How dare you look at the world and think the world out there is the problem? Let's have a look at your life. Let's have a look at all the ways that you're letting me down. And so Lord, we stand convicted today. Uh, Later on, we're gonna confess our sins to you. Uh, Lord, we confess we have sinned. We are not the church that we should be. We have not loved others as ourselves. Uh, Lord, we're quick to pass by the homeless person on the street and not even think twice about them. Uh, Lord, sometimes we come into church on Sunday and we sing and then we go out and live however we want all week. Lord, we stand condemned. But our hope is Jesus. Lord, we come today realizing we need a savior. Uh, I pray that you would help us on one hand to sing the song better. I pray on one hand that you would uh, turn us away from our sins. Lord, I pray that you would uh, fix the sinful part of our hearts so that we would love you wholly and fully. But Lord, in the end, our hope is not our own righteousness. Our hope is Jesus. I pray that uh, we return to him and put our hope in him. Never be disappointed or surprised by the failures of other Christians, but always be placing our hope in the one who will never let us down. So Father, this is the message of Amos, the message I needed here. I pray that you would teach us to it, teach it to us by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.